those of you who don't know me, my name's Terry Payne, and I've uh, been coming here for about eight or nine years, and um, I'm part of a, well, first I'm a usher at second service, and I have, I'm with a part of a ministry at Fenner, Fenner Correctional Center with Gary Poor and Steve Hamilton and Mike DeVaris. And uh, tonight I'll be starting in chapter 2 of Ephesians. And so we'll get along there. <clears throat> Before I get started, I just want to thank Zeke for his words of wisdom. I let him know that I'm very nervous talking in front of people. And uh, so he gave me some words of wisdom. I took it to heart, and it really helped me. Those words uh, of wisdom. And uh, so did uh, Craig. Craig gave them to me, too. Same words. Those words I'll take to my heart, and I'll use them with my children, too. Those words were, don't screw it up. <laughs> so uh, I've had some sleepless nights since uh, he told me that. <laughs> um, these uh, verses that we're going to be going over are, uh, we're going to cover grace through faith and how we once walked like everyone else, spiritually dead. But now by the power of grace of God, we've been quickened and made spiritually alive. But first, before I get started, I want to recap on what um, Steve spoke of last week. And that was in the first chapter, and I'm just going to read verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. <clears throat> God in his spirit has given us wisdom and has revealed to us the knowledge of him through his word. We know who he is, the creator of all things. We know what he has done. He has created us in his image with will intellect, moral reasoning, emotions, creativity, and everlasting existence with dominion on everything here on the earth. We know how he feels about us. He loves each and every one of us and wants nothing but the best for each of us. And we know how much he loves us because he gave us his only begotten son to die in place of us. We know that, the God, we know that God wants to spend eternity with us who believe in him and love him. We know that we will inherit great things by putting our faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. So here we have our God, Yahweh, the God that has created the entire universe, the planets, the stars, the moon, and all of the air and gases that make up all this. And he wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us. Wow. How is that possible? You know, I saw a picture, and it was a picture... I thought it was of a solar system, but it was the universe that is full of billions of solar systems. And it had a little arrow saying, you are here. And I'm like, where? <laughs> it's a cluster. And our God holds this together, and he controls it, and he knows each one of our hearts. He knows everything about us. He knew everything about us before we were even born. Before the world was created, he knew everything about us, our, our entire lives. And he wants to have a relationship with each one of us. Wow. Blows me away. 
So keep that in your mind as we get into the text. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the prince, I'm sorry, according to the course, there we go, (laughs) of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> Verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He made alive who were dead. The word dead in the Greek is dekras. In the Greek it means to be separated from life. It means there is no life. It means dead. And that's what we were before we came to God. Like a, I compared it to a, like a seed. Like a seed of a fruit plant. It's dry and it's hard and it's dead. It's nothing. It does nobody any good. It falls from a tree. falls on the ground. It just lays there. It gets kicked around from place to place. Birds pick it up, carry it here, carry it there. But it's doing no one any good. It's dead. That's how our life was before we came to Christ. When that seed gets planted and it gets watered it starts to grow it becomes a tree and starts giving forth fruit and the birds can eat it and they can nest in it nest in the tree giving them life just like us and we receive the water the water of the holy spirit we come alive we come alive in christ and then that the holy spirit starts working through us and starts overflowing in our bodies and in our hearts and people around you will see it So that dead seed now has life and gives life to others. And now we have life. And the fruit of it can direct people to Jesus and they can have eternal life. And John, I'm gonna, when I say these verses, I'm not gonna, if you guys want to take notes, you can write them down. In John 15:5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. In the Bible, it speaks of different types of death. We have a physical death, which is where your soul leaves your body. 
And then we have spiritual death, which is, as an unbeliever, you're spiritually dead and is separated from any association with God. But for tonight, we're only going to talk about spiritually dead. Since the fall of man in the garden, everyone has been born spiritually dead and by our own deeds of sin have remained spiritually dead, meaning that we had no access to God's spiritual realm in any way. We have no way to access it on our own. God speaks to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, saying, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is he nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. To access the spiritual realm of God, we needed to be quickened or made alive in the spirit to be saved from death and eternal separation from God. Like a person who cannot swim, he's in the water drowning, he's going to have certain death unless someone comes to save him. He'll drown, he'll die. We're the same way spiritually. We need a Savior. We need someone to save us. And that there is Jesus, our Savior. This eternal life that we now have comes only from God and only through faith in the work of Christ on the cross, who is the first raised from the dead and is now in heaven, seated at the highest place of honor in existence. In Colossians 2.13, says, Paul says, and you being dead in your, trespass, your trespasses and the uncircumcision, which means sin, of your flesh, he has made alive, made you spiritually eternal, together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses. So us believers who were dead spiritually because of the disobedience and imperfection in us have been given spiritual life, access to God by the perfect work of Jesus. His perfect life is the gift and payment so that we can have eternal life with him. We know this by Romans 6:22 and 23. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in John 10:28, Jesus speaks and he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. The Greek word here, I love Blue Letter Bible. The Greek word here for life is zoe, and it means life real and genuine. A life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed, in the portion even to this world of those who put their trust in Christ. But after the resurrection to be consummated by new accessions, them a more perfect body to last forever. We are going to have a perfect body that will last forever. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.2 2. In, in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience before we came to Christ we all at one time were going about this world just like someone walking in a maze in the dark just bouncing around not knowing where we're going with no focus no direction in doing what we thought was right in our own eyes. For most of us, our earlier walk or our course of life before we became believers in Christ was spent doing what everybody else was doing. The course of life for unbelievers is a blind one. There is no sense of direction 
There are no eternal thoughts involved in it. It is going, to, it is going according to the prince of the power of the air, or Satan, or the devil, who are the same person. Satan, he's a wrecker. He's an accuser. He's an evil enticer. He's a liar, and he's a destroyer. So I want to look at these words here, this prince of power of the air. Prince, which is archon in Greek, meaning one in authority. Air, which is something without substance but exists and is unseen. And spirit, which is pneuma, meaning to breathe. And putting these together, we get Satan is the one in authority of breathing his evil power into the world and into the lives of people. These people who practice evil here are called the sons of disobedience and are the people who follow worldly plans of Satan. The seriousness of this disobedience is spoken of in Colossians 3, 5, and 7. 3, 5 through 7. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of obedience, disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. That scares me right there. Whenever I hear the wrath of God, I just hear thunder and it makes me shake. <clears throat> Jesus also tells us that they love their sin in John three nineteen and 20. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. I remember being a son of disobedience one time. I followed my own ways. I had my own interests, my own addictions, my own thoughts on things. I was living a sinful and selfish life. I self-indulged on anything that made me happy. I stayed away from the light which meant I stayed away from church and people who went there and took pleasure in my darkness. And the irony here is that the majority of my sin did take place at night when it was dark. If you see how many times I used the words me, my, and self, that's the agenda of Satan, making everyone love themselves more than others and not care about others. Just Just the opposite of what Jesus told us, which was to love each other, edify each other, Take care of one another, and that's taking self out of the equation. Ephesians 2 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. These things that we do for ourselves to make ourselves happy are lusts of the flesh. They are cravings and desires that fulfill the desires of our minds and our bodies, our flesh, not our hearts. These self-indulgences that we once walked in was wickedness. Before we were believers, we were wicked. So I was like, I don't remember being wicked. So I looked it up. (laughs) Wicked in the dictionary said mischievous. Harmful, obnoxious, and offensive. Have you ever been any of those? Any liars out here? (laughs) Um, So, although we were living this way and doing these things, 
Some of us had no idea that we were doing anything wrong because we were oblivious because everybody else was doing it. Some might think of lust just as a sexual disorder or a perverted sexual drive, but it is also an overwhelming overwhelming craving. Here are just a few of those cravings. The passion to criticize, to judge others, to gossip, boasting, brawling, argumentative, drunkenness, envy, hatred, mockery, unforgiving. People actually like to do those things. They have a a passion or craving to do those things. In my past, while I was practicing these sins, I had no idea that I was offending the creator of the universe. The good news is that even though we were born into spiritual death, once we were saved, the chains that held us were broken. Our objective now is not to continue living that old way, but to change our ways to God's will, as is laid out in his word, the Bible. None of us will ever be perfect, but now we have the Holy Spirit within us and the sanctification process, which is the purification process that will take place until we die. Never give up during this period. The devil in the world will tell you that you can't do it and that you're a loser and you're a hypocrite. He's a liar. The devil's a liar. You're a child of God and you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You just stay in the battle and pray and God will get you through it. Ephesians 2.4 But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Okay, now that we know all the bad news, here comes some good news. This is the part I love right here. God is abundantly supplied in not giving sinners what they deserve. That is awesome. In God's mercy, there is compassion so great that no one can possibly comprehend it. Where our compassion ends, his just keeps going. And no matter how far any of us have fallen, he's always there to pick us up, brush us off, and point us in the right direction again, just like a good parent does with their own child. Amen. Think about how many times God's done this in your life. How many times you've tripped up and fallen, and he's picked you right back up. And think about how many believers are in the world right now, millions of them, if not billions, and how many times they fall and stumble every day, and God picks them back up. Then you'll start to see the vastness of his great love and mercy. Why? Why does he continually pick us up and forgive us? We just keep messing up. Why? Time after time after time. He does this because of his great love for each of us. This is his nature to love. This love that God has for us is called agape love. This charitable and unconditional love that he has for us is so powerful that he loves us no matter what. He never stops loving us and nothing can separate his love for us. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul tells us, For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us and the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And then there's this two-letter word, perhaps the most powerful word in the Bible, that describes the magnitude of God's love in which he loves us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The emphasis and the magnitude of the word so is so beyond us. The word is hutos, meaning in this manner. So God loved the world with such a love that he sent his only son to show us just how great his love for us is. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. While we were spiritually dead and doing our own thing, trespassing, meaning leaving the path that we should be on, missing the mark that God commands, living life our own way apart from the will of God, God brought us together with himself. While we were sinning, he brought us together with himself. That means anybody, no matter what you're doing, when you accept the Lord, you're with him now. If you're a murderer, if you're a thief, doesn't matter who you are. And could you do that? Could you just... Could anybody do that? Just say, okay, I forgive you. Come with me. I love you now. How does that make sense? The Trinity is one God. And if the Holy Spirit is within us, that means God is in us. And we are in union with God, and this is being made alive together. It is loving grace, which is his favor, his intention, his purpose, not by any means of anything that we did or could do to earn salvation from what we deserve. Grace is the gift of God that cannot be earned, and we don't deserve it. It's the free gift of salvation from our loving God. A gift given and not earned, so that no one can boast of how hard they worked for it or what they had to give up to get it. There are religions in the world that think they can work for their salvation. They are deceived. If you could work for your salvation, then why did God in the flesh, Jesus, come here and live a perfect life to become the only perfect sacrifice and give his life? Working for salvation would make the loving, selfless act of Jesus void, making it meaningless. This grace that gives us our salvation is the beginning of our spiritual life. It is known as being born again. To get this salvation, you must make the decision to believe in your heart and the payment for your sin by our Lord Jesus. Ask God for forgiveness and turn from the sin in which you once walked, and your sin is pardoned. It's after this act that you begin your spiritual walk in life with God. Spiritual growth is now accomplished by the daily study of God's word, prayer, and fellowship. A rabbi by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he tells Jesus that he knows he's from God. John 3, 3 through 6. Jesus answered Nicodemus and he says to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born of God when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Flesh is sinful and temporary, while the Spirit is pure and eternal. John 14, 6, Jesus says to James, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word life, the word zoe again. Jesus doesn't just give life. Jesus says that he is the life. Jesus is the source of life. All life in the entire universe comes from Jesus. God knows that we can't live a perfect life. Only Jesus could do that. When you trip up in your spiritual walk, address it to God and ask him for forgiveness and learn from it. This is the sanctification process. Ephesians 2.6 And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I was reading this and I, and I read, and made us sit together in the heavenly places like, like we're sitting there. This is like I'm looking like it's the Holy Spirit talking. The Holy Spirit's already seeing us sitting in heaven. He's already seen it. It's already happened. This past tense view shows me that the Holy Spirit has already seen us sitting together with Jesus. Prior to our salvation, we were spiritually dead, separated from God, and destined for the lake of fire. But now God has raised us up from the dead to have eternal life with him. Because of Jesus and his work on the cross, we are raised up to eternal life. We're not actually in heaven yet, but we've been raised from eternal condemnation to eternal life. With God's Holy Spirit living within us, we possess a relationship with God through Jesus and have received the highest honors. Jesus is in heaven, and since we are now in union with him, we have a place set aside for us and we'll be with him one day. Ephesians 2.7 That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here, where it says the ages to come in Greek is the word aeon, which means forever, eternity. This doesn't mean for just the remaining time because in this sense, time is endless and we'll be part of it. While in this endless time, God is going to show us the endless abundance of his grace, his moral goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. In Christ is our union with God, Jesus left us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, bringing us together in a spiritual connection to God. Without having faith in the saving power of Christ, there is no relationship with God. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is God's favor, His compassion, His kindness, His provision. And without it, there would be no salvation. Our, fr- our faith is a trusting thought, a belief, and a confidence of knowing that all we've been told and know about God and his plan are true and real and not made up. There are man-made philosophies, religions, theories, and beliefs 
that are nothing and they have nothing to back them. They don't have a leg to stand on, any of them. They're not real. And some make, even make man as his own God. <clears throat> man is not destined to rule his own planet or another galaxy. We can't even remember what we had for dinner yesterday. We're not going to rule a planet. It's foolishness. It's complete foolishness. Neither are we meant to live and relive and come back as a tree or a goat or a cow or whatever. That's, it's foolishness. God says it's foolishness. It says it right here. The Bible says that man's works are like filthy rags. God speaks to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 64, 6, saying, But we are like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. It's our sin that keeps us away from God. There's nothing we can do now except just throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, ask for forgiveness, and accept that free gift of grace. Ephesians 2.9 Not of works, lest anyone should boast. The word here for works is ergon, meaning an act or deed. The only way for salvation is God's way, and that's through faith. When God reads our mind and sees our heart and sees that our faith is sincere, it's then you'll receive your salvation. Not of anything you can do in and of yourself, only through faith. Things that you see in other religions that are by works is man substituting his own plan in place of God's plan. The, the accomplishment of Jesus is far above anything any man could ever imagine. To make up anything else and to add to it is an insult to God. Like God's life was enough and his work of salvation is incomplete. God is perfect. And Psalm 18.30 tells us this. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust him. What God does is perfect. His wisdom has proven itself over and over. For us who believe in him, he is a shield to protect us from the fiery arrows of the devil. His attacks. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There you go. Anyone that knows why you were created, there it is right there. You were created for God's good works, for his good pleasure, not for your own good pleasure. We are the creation of God, and because of Adam's decision to transgress and sin, we are all now born into sin. We were born spiritually dead because of Adam's decision, and Eve had something to do with this too. But now we are a new creation, a creation in Christ Jesus, born again, born into a spiritual life, in union with God, and for his good pleasure, and for his good works. God prepared this plan in eternity past, designed for us a life of eternity. Now that we're spiritually connected, God will fill us, he will influence us, and he will use us for his good works. So how can we walk in them? What does he want us to do? Read his word. And it will tell you what to do. 
live life the way He designed it, not the way we want to live it our way, but how God says that we should live it. If our way worked out so well, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. We are now a new creation, created in love. Our new life is because of the love of Jesus and what He allowed Himself to go through to bring us to Himself. Live your life worthy of what Jesus has done for you. He was a human in the flesh at one time. He understands the powerful, lustful hold of it. He knows we mess up. That's why he's always there to catch us if we let him. Ephesians 2.11 Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. If you don't read the Old Testament, you probably don't have a clue what that means. <laughs> Paul tells us here to remember. And he means just that. To remember that we were once unbelievers. Gentiles. That's what a Gentile is, an unbeliever. That didn't have a relationship with God. We should not boast of unbelievers because we were once just like them. If anything, we should pray for them. Especially since we know and they do not know what is waiting for them after this life passes away. We had no inheritance of eternal life. We had no truth in us. We had eternal life, eternal fire waiting for us. When this was written... Unbelievers were called the uncircumcision. Circumcision started in the Old Testament with Abraham. Circumcision was the surgical procedure that separated the people of God, the believers of the one true God, from those who were not of God, the unbelievers, or believers of idols and false gods. It was an outward physical sign of one's willingness to obey God and to be one of his chosen people. This physical circumcision was a symbolic act of the spiritual circumcision that we have done by faith, the bondage of sin that has been cut out of our hearts by our faith in Jesus Christ. This cutting away of the sin was a symbol of cutting away the sin in one's heart. We now must be born again, making the circumcision or the removing of sin a spiritual act. We know that the removal of skin will not save you, especially since it's done by man. The removal of sin by faith and being born again does bring about your salvation because it is the work of God and not man. Romans 2, 28 and 29 says it this way, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not for men, but from God. The Pharisees, the Jewish religious sect, are a good example of a Jew or a believer outwardly, but not inwardly. They wanted praise for man and not God. Ephesians 2.12 That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Jesus is speaking to the Jew and the Gentile believers in that day. 
Here we're still in remembrance mode of when we were unbelievers. Being an alien from the commonwealth of Israel means you have no citizenship in the country of God's chosen people. When we were without Christ, we were aliens or strangers to the family of God. We were foreigners to God's chosen family. Being foreigners, we had none of the promises of God, none of his blessings, and no future destiny that is promised to believers only. This world offers no hope, no truth, no confidence, and no assurance of any kind. We hope for a fun weekend, for a fun vacation. We are planning our retirement and the great times that we will have. This is a false hope because we don't know if there will be a tomorrow. That's the assurance that this world gives us. This, te- this world is temporary and can guarantee nothing. The only assurance that you have is if you give your life to Christ and have his faith and his life-saving gift. Then and only then will you have the assurance of eternal life and Jesus is the only person that could accomplish his true hope. Anything in this world aside from God is hopeless. There is no promise of any kind. Fools in the world spend their entire lives pursuing things and stuff and leave God out of their lives, leaving themselves empty. The more stuff, the more empty, the more jaded. And as King Solomon, the richest man that ever lived, said after he looked at all of his works, it was all vanity, it was worthless. In Ecclesiastes 2.11, King Solomon says, look at his entire kingdom, which was magnificent for what the Bible says, like nothing we've ever seen. He looks at this and he says, Then I looked at all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed it was vanity, grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. King Solomon, the wisest and richest man to ever live, is saying that everything that he had done was for nothing. If you don't have God, you will replace him with something else. Galatians 4.8 But then indeed... When you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. So while you were unbelievers, while we were unbelievers, you replaced the true living God with idols. Idols are anything that takes a place or time that should have been spent with God. I think anything in your life that makes you happier than God is an idol. Ephesians 2.13 Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now refers to now being saved. You've been saved by the payment for the sins of the world by the work of Jesus on the cross. In the Old Testament, God said that the penalty of sin was death. In the very first part of Genesis, he told them, And the only way to cover those sins was by the blood of another life, an animal used in sacrifices. God says in Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. This is God's law. This is how he dealt with it. And if you don't know what atonement means, it means to reconcile, reconciliation, to make it right. 
This was a shadow of what was to come in the future. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, giving his life and shedding his blood to make the propitiation or the satisfying payment for our salvation. Why did Jesus do this for us? He did this because of his great love for us. He wants us to be with him where he is. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to care for us. He wants to show us his love. By the indwelling spirit of God living within us, the flow of his love flows through us and pours out of us into this world. And that is what he wants to see in our lives. This outpouring of his spirit is what shows the world that we are of God. As a believer, we are promised eternity with Jesus in heaven. The lesson is that man cannot do anything in and of himself to save himself. The blessing here is that Jesus died so that we could have eternal life. The command here is to remember that we too were all once unbelievers, destined for hell, and now that we are born again, you should live your life as a believer. And a new thought to carry with us is that we are God's creation, created in his image. He knows us and he's always known us. He knows what we're going to do before we even do it. Jesus knows how hard it is to live in these bodies with the sin within us, the world against us and influencing us. He also knows that our adversary, the devil, and his demons are trying to destroy us. That being said, he loves us no matter what. He loves us when we succeed. He loves us when we fail. He loves... He never gives up on us, so we should never give up on him. In John fifteen thirteen through 17, Jesus tells us, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in the, na- in the Father, in my name, that he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus Christ went to the cross for each one of us. He knew you when he was hanging on that cross. He knew each one of us when he was hanging there. We can never say that he doesn't understand. We need to thank him and we need to praise him. (sighs) Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us on the cross, bringing us salvation, Lord, and bringing us into your spiritual realm. We couldn't have done it any other way, Lord. Lord, I ask that you come to each heart here tonight. I pray that no one leaves here the same. I pray that you've touched every heart here and that everyone here leaves differently thinking about you, Lord, with more love and appreciation. You are worthy of all praise, Lord. I thank you. I praise you in Jesus' name. 
Amen.